Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, good morning. How is everybody doing? We doing okay? I love it. Well, like Tim said, we are in our final week of our series, There Is More. And today's topic is one that God has really been speaking to me a lot about in my own life. And it's, it's one that keeps popping up over and over again. I could honestly speak about this subject today for hours and hours and hours. I will not do that today. But I tell you all of that just to tell you that this message comes from my heart today. This one is personal for me. And my hope is just to be able to share with you what God has been revealing to me and that we can all walk out of here maybe feeling a little bit encouraged and challenged as well. So the title of today's message is More Spirit in a Culture of Nuns. Now note for the audio or if you're listening on our podcast or our Spotify, that is N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. Um... Honestly, I think a culture of nuns sounds pretty great. Like, I think that would solve a lot of our problems, so maybe we should start there. I don't know. Um, If I had a nickel for every time someone thought that that's what I was teaching on, I'd have at least 20 cents, right? Um, Anyway, okay. But no, today we are talking about more spirit in a culture of nuns. And to even explain to you what that means, I need to talk out some numbers with you. Are you okay with some numbers? Okay. I have some charts that are going to come up on the screen as I talk, so let's jump into it. About 15 years ago, an organization called Pew Research Center decided to start doing studies every year to try and get a pulse on the state of religion in the United States of America. They have surveyed hundreds of thousands of people over the course of the last decade and a half, and they've asked for them to respond and how they would answer the questions about their own faith and their own beliefs. So how would they classify what religion they follow? So let's dive into what they've found. We're going to start off with Christianity. So this is some numbers for Christianity America. It'll be on the screen. So 15 years ago, in 2007... As you can see here, the study showed that 78% of Americans identified themselves as Christian, which is not too bad. That's like a big number. Like if I got a 78 on a test, I would tell my dad that's basically a B, right? (laughs) I have said that. Anyway. Now, as you can see on the screen, hopefully you can see it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm not that tall. Okay. As you can see on the screen, and if you've been paying attention to the state of the American church over the last few decades, this comes as no surprise that that number has been steadily going down over the last 15 years. So the latest uh, numbers that came out in 2021 show that now just 63% of Americans identify as Christians. So that's a drop of 15%. So let's look at the numbers for other religions Now, the researchers actually ended up putting all other world religions into one category of other religions. So this is like Judaism, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam. This is all of those things. And numbers for those religions have pretty much stayed the same, pretty steady between 5 and 6%. You may not be able to see that line. It's pretty close to the bottom there. 
So you may be wondering, well, where is that 15% going? Where was, where's that drop happening? Well, the final category is for those who replied with no religion. And this isn't people who just didn't want to answer the survey, like it's not people who just hung up on them when they were asking if they wanted to participate. That's actually less than 1% of the people that they called, so they don't even chart that. These people, this category of no religion, it's people who would identify as agnostic, atheist, or simply unsure altogether of what they believe. So on the actual survey, they checked nothing. In 2007, studies showed that this group made up about 16% of Americans, and now, in 2021, has almost doubled to 29%. So what does this mean as a whole? You may ask, right? Why are we talking about this? While the majority of people in our country would still say they are Christian, when we look at the research here, simply put, the fastest and most consistent growing religion in our country is none. None. So why is this happening? The researchers, they wanted to dig deeper. They wanted to find out, like, what was the, what was the decision coming from? Like, where was, where was this coming from? And so they actually followed back up with this group, a group that they have now started calling the spiritual nuns. Right? So hence the name of today's message. So they asked this group, what were the factors in your decision? What made you decide to disaffiliate from your prior religion, mostly Christianity, to no religion? And these were some of the most common responses, and they'll be on the screen as well. There are too many Christians doing unchristian things. There's a lack of any sort of scientific evidence for God. Organized religious groups seem more divisive than uniting. Religion is personal and it should be done alone. Religion is illogical. How could there be a God when the world is so bad? I don't have time for church and I just kind of stopped participating. Religion is all about money and power and politics now, it's not about religion anymore. I'm honestly unsure of what to believe and I'm just trying to figure it out. Now, this isn't an entirely new phenomenon. Like, it's one of those that researchers, researchers have actually seen coming for quite some time. There's a theory that was formed by sociologists in the 1970s that predicted that this kind of shift in American culture would happen, and it's called the myth of progress. Everyone say the myth of progress. Myth of progress. Great. Doing great. <laughs> this theory basically assumed that as the world continued to advance and science and technology and medicine continued to progress, that human beings, especially in the West, would evolve towards this sort of utopian future, this utopian world. And the world would continue to just keep getting better and smarter and more logical and more scientific, and that as that continued to happen, that humans wouldn't have a need for God anymore. They wouldn't have a need for religion. And they would continue to walk away from church, continue to walk away from their faith, and as that happened, that everyone would see that the world would just be better. A world without religion is better, right? 
Now, I think we can all agree that we have seen that way of thinking begin to play out in our culture in the last few years. I think we definitely see it in the numbers, right? And there, listen, there is some truth, absolutely, that we have made many incredible advancements as a society, especially when it comes to technology and science and medicine. And if I had more of your time today, I would go on a tangent about how science and faith are not enemies, but that's for another day. Um, Just, yes. But the point is, I'm not saying we haven't made progress. We have absolutely made progress, and for that we are grateful. But things aren't really better, are they? Right now, in this cultural moment, our country is seeing extreme political polarization, social unrest. We are seeing major spikes in violence and crime. Life expectancy in the US has declined for the second year in a row, which hasn't happened since World War II. There's also just an increase in fear and worry and division as we face realities of things like climate change and inflation and recession and healthcare and gun violence, like the list goes on. That's from like the last month, right? Meanwhile, in the middle of all of this, maybe because of this, I don't know, uh, we're in the middle of a mental health crisis as a nation. Just some quick, fun stats for you. Um, 34% of Americans say that they experience, have experienced anxiety symptoms within the last 12 months. 34%. One in five U.S. adults have been diagnosed with a mental health illness. The suicide rate in the U.S. has increased by 35% in the last decade. 41% of adults report feeling severe loneliness and disconnection. And here's the thing, um, it's not like signs aren't pointing to it getting better, like these numbers are even higher in Gen Z alone. So loneliness in Gen Z is at 63%. Depression in teenagers right now, and the latest data is at 46, 46, that's nearly half. And these numbers, um, they're overwhelming, right? And hear, hear, my, hear my heart, hear me say this, like, this message is not meant to depress you. We already have enough of that. And it, it's not meant to, like, chicken little you either, to be like, this is all, like, ending. We need to pack it up, right? This message is because this is important for us to know. This is important for us to look at, and sometimes I think it's easy to look away. You know, a question we like to ask a lot around here is, who are you becoming? And I think that it's time in this moment for us as a church to ponder this question for the church. Who are we becoming? What does the church look like in 10 years, in 20 years? Are those lines getting closer? This is a defining moment. And I actually really, truly believe that this moment is an invitation from God. 
I don't think he's surprised by any of this. I think he's not threatened by any of this. I think it's a moment where he is inviting his church, inviting his people into something new, into seeing something differently, to seeing things as they are differently. Like maybe we're just kind of missing it right now. So let me ask you something. Have you ever felt desperate? (laughs) I got got some yeses in the front. (laughs) So a few months ago, um, a group of some of my best friends from college, we went and did an escape room together. We were doing this for one of our friend's birthdays, and we decided that would be fun. And um, we... (laughs) We had too many people to do one room, so we ended up having to split up guys and girls into two different rooms. So not only were we now just gonna try to make it out of the rooms to escape the rooms, um, but now it was a race. Now, just some background, this is like a crew of people that we've known each other for 15 plus years. We are like family, we have lived a lot of life together and a lot of them were married, so it was like spouse versus spouse, so you can imagine how competitive we were being about these escape rooms, right? This was no longer like just for fun, this was for honor, right? Like we had to win, right? So the clock started and the girls, we hit our stride and honestly, we were crushing it. Like we were killing it. I actually kind of thought like, maybe I've missed my calling. Maybe I need to be a secret agent. Like I think, I don't know, guys, I don't know. My confidence was through the roof. I was like, we are getting out of here in 20, bet. (laughs) Um, But as that clock kept winding down, we hit a wall. Have you ever hit a wall in life, right? And we had a bunch of clues that made no sense and we were just sitting there and we were like absolutely at the end of ourselves. We had no clue what to do next. And at first, like, we just kept trying to stay calm and we tried to keep thinking and we tried to keep working. And we were just like literally doing anything we could. And as the clock kept ticking, we became desperate. With two minutes left, we would have done anything to find the way out, like like our lives depended on it. You know what I mean? Like the high schooler from the front desk wasn't gonna come back and let us out. Like that's how we were acting in this room. We were screaming at each other, we're throwing things at each other, we're shoving keys into things that aren't even locks, we're typing any numbers, any letters, any codes that would go into these safes. Like we were desperate. But here's the thing, Um, no matter how bad we just wanted it, no matter how hard we tried, it didn't work. We didn't have what we needed and the doors wouldn't open. Time ran out. And something that God has been revealing to me a lot lately is that I think that something similar is happening in our culture around us right now. I see it in the research, I see it in conversations with my friends and my family, I I hear it in conversations with our students and their friends, Um, and I'm sure you've seen it in your own life too. I think we have a world of people who are desperate. They're desperate, they're looking for something real, they're looking for meaning, they're looking for connection, they're looking for anything that will bring life. 
and they're looking anywhere they can find it. And here's the thing, the world is offering them a million ways to find it. But no matter how hard they try or no matter how bad they want it, the doors won't open. They can't find it. And here's the humbling thing that I think you and I need to hear today. Not only are they not finding it from what the world is offering, but what we see in this chart is that they aren't finding it from what the church has been offering them the last 15 years either. Sometimes, um, I think out of our own fear, out of our own self-preservation or pride or our own desperation, we see how many people are leaving church or we see how many people are deciding to walk away from God and we start to panic, right? And we start to end up molding Jesus into just another option in a world of options. Like Christianity is just another self-help strategy that you can maybe try out, see if it helps. See if you like church. And here's the thing, we just, we, when we do that, we, we diminish the power that only comes with the living God that we say we believe in, right? And so I believe this moment, like I said, it's an invitation from God to take that desperation that we feel to do something, to fix it, to do anything, and instead turn it into a desperation for the presence of God. So my question for us today is, are we desperate for the Spirit? I think we have a little bit to learn as a church on this, so I, I want to take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And before I read from this, I think it's important for us to understand the context of what's happening in this letter, um, because I think it actually adds a lot of value to what we're reading. Paul is writing to a church that he helped plant, that he helped start um, in the city of Corinth. So this isn't a letter between strangers. This is a letter between friends, right? This one is personal for him. Now, Corinth, where this church was located, it was known for a lot of things. First, it had a pretty immoral and corrupt culture. And frankly, most of the people in the city didn't really care that it had become so corrupt. They were just like, whatever, it's fine. They were worshiping any and all other gods except Jesus. They were building altars. They were sacrificing animals, all the things. Corinth was also one of the richest cities in Greece. And with all of that wealth came a huge divide between the rich and the poor. So the rich were doing anything that they could. I'm so sorry, my cheeks are just really big, you guys. That's really the problem. So the city was really rich, right? <laughs> and the rich were doing anything they could to keep that power that they had, to keep that money coming in. And because of that, the poor continued to suffer more and more. That divide got bigger. The city was also known for being highly intellectual, which meant that a lot of people in the city just thought that the teachings of Jesus were just kind of dumb, like foolish. Like, that is illogical. Why would anyone believe that? 
And all of these things mixed together created division and turmoil within the city and its people. And this church that Paul had built, they were struggling to figure out how do we reach people in this kind of environment? They had no idea what to do. And so they started to make some changes and they started to do some different things and they ended up looking a lot more like culture instead of a lot more like Jesus. And it wasn't going well, right? Is the story sounding familiar <laughs> to anybody? So Paul writes this letter to them to give them some advice, to bring them back to what matters most, and I think that we can learn a lot from it as well. So let's see what he says. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. So before this, he's telling them, he's like, when I came to you, I had no idea what to tell you either basically, right? And then he says this, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I love this. He's telling them, remember, you used to be in this same boat, and it wasn't my words or my wisdom that convinced you to follow Jesus. It was the Spirit of God so that your faith wouldn't rest on my wisdom, it wouldn't rest on me being here, it would rest on God alone. How many of you know that the world is resting on human wisdom right now? And it's failing us. This is why we need more spirit. Okay, verse seven, let's jump down, or verse six, let's jump down. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He's saying, see, what we're... What we're telling people isn't crazy. It's still wisdom. Not wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. People may not understand it, and there are still parts of the gospel that we may not even understand. There are still mysteries of God that we may not even get. But it's not crazy. It's still wisdom. And then in verse 9, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. By his spirit. Paul's advice on how to be a church in a place that doesn't trust the church, more spirit. Because see, the presence of God reveals things to every human heart in a way that nothing else can. So my question for us today, are we desperate for the Spirit? Are you desperate for the Spirit in your own life? I don't know about you, I'm desperate for a lot of things in the world, but I wanna be desperate for the Spirit to move. I want to see God move in a powerful way in this church and outside of this church. So earlier this summer, um, we had our fifth summer camp with Student Life. And this is always a powerful week. It's always amazing. And I love getting to spend so much time with our students 
Um, but this year, it turned into something that I, I honestly will never forget as long as I live. After just a couple days, our students' walls were coming down, and they were starting to open up to us about things that, in their life that were honestly just like heartbreaking, just like really heavy stuff. They were sharing things that I, don't, I wouldn't know how to walk through at 35, let alone at 14 or 16 or 12. And sometimes, if, I, if I'm being honest, um, I think it's easy to look at numbers about our world. It's easy to look at the state of our country and Gen Z and anxiety and depression, and it's easy to be like, that's happening to like some mystery group like over there. Like they're just numbers. And I just want to tell you they're not. Like they're really real. And the things that um, they were sharing with us, it was overwhelming. And they were asking so many questions that honestly sounded a lot like those survey responses that we read earlier. All week, I heard things like, Leslie, why are you a Christian? How do you know that this is true? What if it's not real? You say God cares about me, but no one cares about me. No one even knows me. I've tried so hard to do the right thing and it doesn't matter. What's the point? You say God has a purpose for us, but my life, it feels meaningless. And as their leaders, we were overwhelmed. It was way too much. Like we were like, how do we help? Where do we even start? What do you even say? And the only way that I know how to explain the feeling to you is like this overwhelming sense of urgency like their lives depended on it. Like I couldn't tell them fast enough how much Jesus loves them. Like how much meaning God has for their life, how much purpose they have, like how loved they are. It was like, how can I just get them to know? It's like, I don't have the words. And uh, every leader meeting, we were all just sobbing and looking at each other like what would you say um, and so on that final morning we woke up early and we decided to prayer walk the grounds because honestly we had no idea what else to do we had nothing else to do we didn't know what to pray we didn't know what to ask but we just stood there and we were like God we need you you have to show up. We were desperate for the Spirit. And this is no exaggeration when I tell you that that final night of camp, 
was unlike anything I had ever seen before. I watched a room of breakthrough happen before my eyes. It was like watching a, like a lit match drop on gasoline. God moved in such a powerful way, I was honestly standing there shocked. I shouldn't have been, I should have been expected, but I was shocked. And this wasn't typical camp emotions or camp high. It wasn't because of anything we said or did. This was different. Kids were weeping. They were singing louder than I've ever heard them sing. They were praying for each other, crying out in prayer. And so we decided we were just going to run some extra songs and give them some more space just to be in the moment. And the most beautiful thing happened, like, for the majority of worship, you know, the leaders, we always kind of stand around the room, like, ready for if anyone, any of them need prayer. And so we're standing around the room, but what ended up happening is they were praying for each other. They were literally climbing over chairs in order to get to each other. They were moving furniture out of the way so that their friend would have someone praying with them or so that they could get on, the, on their own knees and pray. I don't know about you, it's been a long time since I've moved furniture so that I could pray for someone, or so I could pray at all. We stood there and we watched the youngest person in our entire ministry. He starts directing all of the students around the room to make sure that everyone had someone to pray with them. He was like this watchman on the wall. And it was so beautiful because our students, they weren't just experiencing the presence of God for themselves, they were experiencing it together. They were desperate for the Spirit, not just in their own life. They wanted it for everyone in the room. They were fighting for it. Afterwards, um, at like 1 a.m., um, I was doing room checks, and like I always do, and all they could talk about was God. <laughs> and like, just pause for a second, like they're normal teenagers, like if you walk out of here, you're like, wow, student life. Um, they're like very normal, like the nights before this, all they were asking me is like, who's crushing on who? And like, they're like peer pressuring me into getting on Be Real. And they're like begging me to let them wear their Crocs on the hike. And like, <laughs> they'll be in sport mode. They're great shoes. It's fine. Um, like they're normal teenagers, you guys. You need to know this, okay? Because it was such a change. But that last night after they experienced this together, their rooms were filled with worship music. They were reading their Bibles to each other before going to bed. All they could talk about was what they had just walked through and what they had just seen. And what I heard from every single room was, Leslie, I've, I've never felt God like that before. God has never been more real to me. 
I've always heard about Jesus. I'd heard you talk about him a lot. I wasn't sure quite what to believe, but now I get it. Now I know. And I just, I share this story today because I feel like it was just this like sample sized version of all that we've been talking about tonight or today, this morning, it's not night. I watched it happen with my own eyes recently. In this moment of desperation from them, desperation from us, we cried out to the Lord for help because we had nothing else to do. And I don't know about you, um, there are so many things about our world where I look around and I'm like, God, I, I have nothing else to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help. And this is what it's about, church. This is what this entire series has been about, right? We are in a culture that is disconnected. They're desperate. They're hurting. They're walking through a lot of really, really hard things. And they're looking for any sign of life. And more and more and more, as we have seen, they are turning away from the church. They are turning away from God. And we need a move of the Spirit. And the only way that happens is if we as the church get desperate for the Spirit to move. So I don't have like a five-point plan on how we do that. Um, I just want us to pray today. I want us to continue to worship today. And I want us to get honest with ourselves. Like, what are you desperate for? What would it look like for us to get desperate for the Spirit? We're going to continue to worship. I'm going to pray for us, and um, we can go back to this question. Yeah, are, are you desperate for the Spirit? Are we desperate for the Spirit for each other, for the people in our lives? As we worship here in a moment, the prayer team is going to be up at the front. There's going to be people in the back as well by the doors. And if you need prayer today, if you just want to pray with someone, please come forward. Don't leave without being prayed for. You can come pray with me if you want. What would it look like if we got desperate for God to move? Would you pray with me? as we continue in worship. Maybe if you want to stand, too. Why not? Let's stand while we pray. I'm going to start off just echoing this ancient prayer that says, Holy Spirit, come. Come. 
We want to be desperate for you. God, would you increase our desperation for you, our need for you, our dependency on you to move. Help us to get honest with ourselves today. Are we just going through the motions? Are we trying to look away? Are we numbing out to our own feelings, our own life, God? Would you draw us closer to yourself? Would you reveal the things that only you can reveal? God, I I just, I feel... I want to just take a moment. If you're in the room and you're like, man, I'm walking through something really heavy. I actually really need to know that God is real. I actually really need to know that he's here, that he's with me. I just want to encourage you, take this moment. God wants to meet you today. He wants to meet with you. Would you open your heart, open your mind to the possibility of meeting with him today? God, would you encounter us in a new way today? Would you encounter those of us who need to be reminded of who you are, reminded of your heart for us and your love for us and your care for us? Reminded that you're real. God, all around the room, would you even place names on our hearts, names on our minds of people that we can pray for, people that we can reach out to. Maybe they're next to us and you just want us to pray with them. God, would you just pour out your presence on this room? Would you speak in a way that only you can speak? Would you move in a way that only you can move? Holy Spirit, come. We want to be desperate, desperate for you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.